Welcome in, everyone, to another edition of Broadcaster Hour. I'm Roger Hoover with you from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. We've got Kyle Crooks from Gainesville, Florida. And Kyle, we return this week to our Best Of series. Today, it's the Best Of Football. That's right, and it, and it's football season. Roger, I'm here in Florida. You're in Tuscaloosa. But the weather's starting to change even here. When you talk about football weather, I'm from New Jersey. You get the leaves starting to turn. They st- the, the leaves start to come down. It starts to get cold. Here in Florida, it's starting to get a little cold, too. You know, as we record this, it's Florida, Georgia week. It's a big week in football, so why not celebrate that and, and talk about some of the uh, the best of football episodes that we've had and, and go through some of the great interviews? Yeah, over the course of the summer, especially, we were able to get a lot of great college voices on before college sports started to heat up. And even in the last few weeks, we've been joined by Tony Castricone from Washington right before his season begins. And then Paul Keels of Ohio State. The Buckeyes are now up and rolling in Columbus. So it's good that we are having all this football starts come back to us. And today we try and tackle one of the things I think that's toughest to tackle maybe in sports broadcasting and play-by-play, calling football, especially on the radio. This episode really has more of a radio episode on it, but this can be one of the toughest tasks that anyone has, trying to call a football game on radio. Yeah, and I love it, and it's it's the favorite task for me. I've always been kind of like a football, basketball guy. I love calling the faster-paced sports, and and the, the common thread that we get with all of the guests is setting up the play. You know, before you try and become a, a Kevin Harlan or somebody who can describe the, the two-hand glove catch with the, the blue receiver gloves, get the, get the bare basics. It's the ball on the hash mark. Is it second and eight? Is it which 48-yard line is it at? Is the team moving right to left? What's the score? And, and Roger, as much as we like to throw detail and everything, and I think you can as you go and you learn, the, the common theme is keep it simple. Give me time score. Give me where is the ball on the field? Where was the ball thrown on the field? Where is the ball being run on the field? Just simple things. You start there. And then you continue to branch out, and your play-by-play will sound really good. And there's just a good rhythm to it, and it's very repeatable at times, and there kind of is a set formula you can go off of. I think everyone does baseball and basketball just a little bit different in kind of their own ways. But football, you like all those fundamentals you just laid out, you can kind of return to that rhythm each and every time. And I think that's one of the things I've enjoyed the most about hearing from all these different broadcasters we've had is that's what they go back to, and they don't try to make it more complicated than it has to be. Yeah, I have this formula that I have written down on my iPhone when I do demo football games. Time, score, down, distance, yard line, plus, minus, hash. There's a lot of stuff in there, but it's, it's essentially a way of throwing all of the bare bones into one little acronym. And again, once you continue to build your skills, you can develop more and more of that. But also, Roger, from the prep side of it, it was interesting to see the different spotting charts. Eli Gold, Josh Appel, Adam Amin. And, and you actually, Roger, do it the way that Kevin Harlan does it, where it's numeric, and mm-hmm. it's not necessarily position by position. So there's so many ways to do it, and, and it's, it's just cool to, to see all the different spotting charts and the information that's necessary to, to have a good broadcast. Yeah, I really think so, and I appreciate you comparing me with Kevin Harlan. That's the first time, maybe the only time that will happen, but yes, I do. Uh, I like having, you know, my offense kind of on one column, and that's a little bit separated with quarterback, running backs, wide receivers, then in numerical order with tight ends, but then the defense completely in numerical order. I've got it shaded who the starter is, so I can kind of figure out the depth chart quickly just by looking at it, but I love having it numerically because things happen fast in football, and there are a lot of bodies, and there's a lot to figure out, and especially we have so many college football voices you'll hear from in this episode think of the prep for a college football game at these power five levels it's immense yeah absolutely and and you use the the numeric side of the charts and what i've done is i will literally try to memorize every skill position player every member on the defense and it's harder that way but for me and and when you ask too roger how much film do these guys watch that's like a common question with that mm-hmm. and color analysts watch film for a different reason why me you or tony castricone adam amin why they might watch film is to memorize number 32 what does he look like what wristbands does he wear how can i identify him like that that's why i watch film in any sport that i do it's not necessarily for say in soccer a tactical thing it's more of a memorization thing And I think if you're doing football and you have access 
to video. If you're doing small college, you should. High school, it's a little bit tougher, but you know, there's games on YouTube, and, and hopefully you can find things from previous weeks. But that's a huge part of your preparation. If you can not only memorize your depth chart, but have the physical attributes of their players kind of locked in your brain by watching tape and using that as an avenue to help your preparation, Roger, I'm telling you, your play-by-play is going to get so much better because of how quickly you identify things and not having to look down. The Mm -hmm. less you look down to look at your spotting chart, the more trouble you're going to be in. So another common theme is why play-by-play guys watch film, especially on the radio. It really does help. It certainly does. And I think one of the other great things we've heard from so many of our guests is, okay, you have all these different things you're trying to get down in a football game. And that's great if you're working solo, but you're probably never going to be solo unless it's high school football. Once you get to a college NFL level, it'll never be that way. So now it's making sure you can work an analyst in there. And I thought we got some really good answers to that, to making sure, uh, you know, like we hear from Josh Appel, he's got Charles Arbuckle working with him. You know, he's got to make sure that he has his time to get all those things in for their national broadcast. It's just fascinating how all of it comes together because there is so much you can say, but learning how to say less seems to be the key for winning football on the radio. Yeah, and it's and it was a funny conversation, right? Because Josh Appella, he had mentioned that he does games on Sports USA with the guy who invented the the Bears defense, the the forty six Bears defense, and you know, you can't, you're not gonna say anything that is going to like shine a light bulb in the head of an analyst you're not there to analyze the game what your job is is to describe and make sure you also have that conversation before you go on the air to your analyst to say here's when i think it's the best spot to analyze something when and it's hard with no huddle offenses so it's it's turned more into kind of like a an ongoing conversation now on football on the radio because there isn't that there isn't that stoppage anymore. There isn't that huddle up. There isn't that pro-style offense. So it's so quick. And it's very important that you have that conversation with your analyst to say, if you have a point and say on TV you make it in 20 seconds, it's got to be, Roger, eight seconds max on radio. With no huddle offenses now, if you're, if you're calling a game with Alabama or you're calling a game with Florida, with the way these offenses are operating now and how quickly and early in the play clock they snap the football, that conversation has to be had. And if you're working with a new analyst, it could be tough. But once you get that timing down and it turns more into a conversation where you, you don't have to ask direct questions the higher up you go of your analysts, they know what they see. They're going to analyze it. They're going to give you the information and hopefully in small nuggets. So that was another interesting part of just working with your analysts in a fast-paced game on the radio. It is, it's a tightrope dance, but, um, you know, the more you move up, the more experienced broadcasters, I guess, you get to work with, and it makes it a little bit easier. Yeah, I remember when I was in school at Tennessee, uh, you know, starting in 2006, Bob Kessling had some of his rules for broadcasting, and one of them was the analyst needs to wrap up their thought every time the team breaks the huddle teams don't huddle really anymore he we've had that conversation before about how he's kind of evolved that with his partners in the vol network as time has gone on because you know that traditional play break you know make sure they go to the huddle analyst talks they break the huddle you set up the play that rhythm's gone now so you got to find almost a basketball basketball style rhythm to make sure you call these plays at this point yeah roger and it's similar too we always talk about baseball you need to stop and pause before Mm -hmm. every pitch think of it this way Football, you need to stop and pause. Even if you're midpoint, stop and pause right before the snap. The snap is the pitch. It's just as important as a pitch in baseball. Do it the same way. And basketball, it's a little bit tougher. Right. But if you have that mindset of before the snap, if you're an analyst, you need to give the time for the play-by-play guy. Time, score, down, distance, yard line, hash mark, which side of the field. That is the information that has to get in pre-snap. So sometimes you have to cram that in in three seconds or five seconds, and you're not going to get that information in. Um, And here's another thing, too. Josh Appel brought it up. You don't need to go through every single wide receiver Mm -hmm. down the line, every single play. Give me the best receiver. Give me a third and long. Who's the guy who leads the team in receptions that is most likely to make this catch? it's probably going to be the guy that leads the team in receptions on third yeah. down. So highlight him. Or the guy that leads the SEC in receiving, highlight him. That was a really great point by Josh. 
you know, if I'm calling a Colts game, which he has, and I think this is the comparison he made, I'm going to let you know where T.Y. Hilton is on the field. I'm not going to, if I don't have enough time to give you all five wide, I'm going to let you know where T.Y. is because he's a pro bowler and he's probably going to make a play on third and long. So that was that was such a great point by him. You don't necessarily every single play, and it's good to, but you don't need to run through every single name. Just give me the one that is most important to the storyline on that play. Well, I remember even some of the you know back and forth conversation you and I have talked about you know setting up a play. Out. Every time I was saying three wide receivers to the left, and you just say trips left. And all of a sudden, you kind of have that in your mind. Okay, there are three wide receivers to the left. You know, things like that can really help you in all about the economy of words once again. Yeah, yeah. And and I've actually had critiques, Roger, where they said that saying twins right or trips left is kind of almost like too jargon-like, hmm. where they actually wanted me to say three wide receivers to the right. Because, like, maybe somebody doesn't know what trips means or – and it's and it's hard too with some of these offenses now to how how to describe it so you don't sound like you're you're giving jargon, like when when a tight ends like if you use an H back, well I don't think anybody knows what an, like football fans do but yeah. the casual listener doesn't really know what an H back is so is it a tight end that's lined up right side in the backfield or um, so those are those are little things but um, I just love listening every single night to the NFL or college football. I love, I'm a bit, as we know, I'm a big Kevin Harlan guy. We'll have him eventually. We'll have him eventually because he will give the, one of the best breakdowns of his play by play you've ever heard when we do have him coming up. (laughs) And, and I've got caught in this too. And I think a lot of people have is sometimes throwing in too much information. Like I caught myself saying bell tie snap way too much. I think it's good. It's good in smaller doses. And I don't think Kevin Harlan does it every snap. Not every play, I, no. I got into the pattern of doing no. it every snap because I felt like, oh, this is such a cool descriptor. We're like, it doesn't necessarily need to be hammered every snap, you know, or is it a chest eye catch? Is it a line drive pass? All that stuff I think is really, really, really good in smaller doses. But if you do it every single play, it could be exhausting sometimes for the listener. And that's just something that, that I've learned as I try to improve my play, my play-by-play is – Make it a little bit, keep some of that description, Roger, but try to make it a little bit simpler. And you use the, the, the right phrase, the economy of words, right? You don't want to, because then you start to lose diction yeah. in your words. And then you really start to speed up. And then you speed up into the next snap. And it's third and six. And there's a shotgun. And all of a sudden, you get caught behind the play. Mm-hmm. And, and the listener can tell like you're out of breath. Yeah. So if you yeah. economize those words, I think you can, it's, it's better to kind of keep your breath and everything about you. Yeah, if the crowd is roaring while you're saying, oh, the snap goes high to his left shoulder, turns, pivots his shoulders back, surveys downfield, uh, shakes off one, you know, all this stuff. You can get really... to do that. Yeah, I mean, it gets tough, though. You can't have the crowd not match that. Yeah, it's tough when you have good natural sound feeds because they'll expose you if you're behind. Yep. Um, Adam Amin made a really good point, and we'll have that, have that mm-hmm. conversation in this. It's one of the best things. The way he broke down his football play-by-play was one of the best things I've ever heard from a play-by-play nerd. But you can shoehorn description. If you can't get everything in, if somebody makes a twisting two-hand helmet-high grab on the back right side of the end zone, maybe say he makes a twisting catch back right side of the end zone for a Saints touchdown, and then come back, Michael Thomas leaped up high with the two gloved hands, went up in front of his Saints helmet, made the two-hand grab on a twisting effort for the touchdown. Don't necessarily need to say that in your description, but once your analyst is done describing mm-hmm. the play, then you go back and, and give me the exact description as to what happened. I'm not necessarily throwing it in all at once on that play, so I don't wind up screwing up the call and throwing too many words out there. Instead, shoehorn it on the back end of yeah. it to let me know just amount, just exactly what he had to do to make that catch. Adam made that point. I thought that was that was spot on because you don't need to fit everything in first take. And you know, the funny thing is we had Wayne Rendazzo, one of his good friends, along with Joe Davis. He made that exact same point about baseball a few episodes later, you know, when talking about how he calls a Mets play and, you know, really pass down for Pat Hughes, you know, get all the action in first, paint the rest of the picture in after that. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's just been, and to, the amount of guys we've had on Roger, right? It's crazy. We've had 
who've called big games. Well, look at the playoffs in baseball. You know, Kevin Burkhart, Joe Davis are right there. Uh, You know, we have some other big guests that called some big baseball games coming up shortly on our on our broadcaster hours. So, yeah, it's been incredible. Need to just sit back and watch. You know, an NFL Sunday boom. There's Burkhart. There's Amin. Joe Davis uh, calling Game Seven of the NLCS, and then of course every college football Saturday, we've got a ton of voices, both TV and radio, we've heard from. It's been crazy, and to see Joe Davis call Game 7 of the NLCS and know that we had him on here talking about play-by-play and all these guys that you speak of, but you know, having an Eli Golan and the experience that he's had in big moments, calling national championship victories, calling that, you know, the, the two a play to, to win the national championship, and talking about that, talking about the kick six and being on the other end of, <laughs> of a big play and how you describe that as the hometown radio guy and when it's going against you, or have the guy on that called probably one of the biggest moments or the biggest moment in Titan history, but one of the biggest moments in NFL history in Mike Keith and how he called the Music City Miracle on a day that he, according to him, he said he had one of the worst broadcasts he ever had. And then it was the same game in which John Ward had wrote him a letter about just how good he had done in that game and how he called that final play, an iconic moment that you never see coming. And just how these guys handled that and and sometimes it's not necessarily always about making sure you fit every last line of description but also the emotion aspect of it make sure you're punctuating a call with the necessary emotion you're not going over the top you're not you're not uh, popping your audio because you're screaming I think that's a big part with play-by-play across the board right is on radio is not just the descriptions side of it Roger but the voice side of it is making sure that, again, you're getting enough air, you're breathing, you're slowing your tempo, your pace is good, and your energy is is good but not over the top on touchdown calls. And that's, Yeah, because people yeah. have to hear you. There's no TV, there's no picture to help you out. And uh, I think that's really important. And this is one other last piece of advice. I know we've gotten a little long in our intro for this episode. Probably they're like, okay, where do the people actually call football? <laughs> where Can we hear from them, please? Um, you know, when I was doing D3 games, D2, you know, high school games and stuff like that, at times I'd get really frustrated because I was so used to baseball. Baseball games kind of have, you know, a narrative for the night and you kind of are able to weave in a lot of stories, things like that. And it sometimes for me was hard in my early days calling football. I didn't feel like, well, like what stories did I tell? What was the kind of feel of this stuff? Because it can kind of be a little choppy and we go back to that rhythm. You're doing the same thing over and over again. I just want to make sure people know that's okay. You know, you've got to get in these details for the games you're calling and it's not going to feel like, you know, a baseball, basketball game where, you know, you may have a huge narrative of the night that you're able to go back to over and over again and have time to really flesh all those storylines out it's a different beast because there's so much to describe and as we've talked about not a lot of time to describe it yeah it's baseball is a storytelling medium and football not as much basketball not as much and it's just if you don't feel like you told us about how the left tackle was you know went through this hardship in high school you know they probably told it on the television broadcast (laughs) but what's what's and your fans already know it if you're a home team announcer your fans know that they, they know it. They've read the blogs. They've read Twitter. They, they've read everything about the team. So you got to know your audience. You got to know why you're there, specifically on radio. You're there to describe, and it's great to get all that extra stuff in. But what's important, time score, down distance, yard line, plus minus hash. That's my that's my formula, Roger. And, uh, you know, you stick to that, you'll be all right. The Crooks method, they're going to call it down the road when you're uh, in Canton, Ohio with your gold jacket. Because <laughs> he pioneered the Crooks method. The fighter, the crooks method, the, the slogan, the method that nobody uses. <laughs> hey, maybe I'll use it the next time I call a game or a demo game Somebody's or something. Somebody's got it. Got to. Well, anyway, you've heard enough from us. Again, we don't get to call football that much anymore, but we can't wait until we do. But uh, for Kyle, this has been Roger. Enjoy all the tips and secrets and philosophies from our football guests that we've had here on Broadcaster Hour. What do you? When did you take that tact in football radio play-by-play where you knew that's kind of the alley that you wanted to take it? Uh, I could probably uh, uh, guess the date, uh, in fact. I think it was uh, November 1st, 2010. Or uh, 2009, sorry. Uh, November 1st, 2009. I think I still remember the date. Uh, I think that was the first night I called um, a football game on the radio that actually was on the radio. Like, it was on the air. 
Uh, believe it or not, I did not call any football games. I called less than five football games when I got hired at ESPN. That that's something that I, I still laugh at today because I, I feel like football has become a a real strength. And I don't know if I'm. And again, that's subjective, very subjective. But I, I feel much better about it now than I than I did, you know, late two thousand nine. Uh, that was the night I called my first game for KUOO Radio in Spirit Lake, Iowa, and that game was in Council Bluffs, Iowa, which is right across the state line from Omaha, Nebraska, so it's about a four-hour drive from where I was working. And after our game, I was in the car, my partner and his girlfriend had fallen asleep, and I turned on Westwood One, and Kevin Harlan was calling a Monday Night Football game. And that was, and I think it was a Jet game, and I just remember, uh, fairly certain Mark Sanchez was the quarterback. Might be wrong, but uh, fairly certain. And the way he described everything you talked about, Kyle, like the way he gave you a snap, which I had no idea how to do, or I, I had no idea that was even like a concept or a philosophy. Uh, to talk about looking shoulder into the brights, you know, in, and not necessarily right in the play, but in the in the recap of it, in at one point or another, saying something to add an an, uh, an element or a layer to the call. That's the first time I'd heard anybody do it that specifically. Uh, Wayne Larrabee had been, uh, as I mentioned, is probably you know the, one of the three best or four best ever, and certainly a major influence on me. And I can tell how much Wayne and Kevin are similar because of that level of description. Kevin almost takes it to a different level. I think Kevin might be the most uh, purposefully descriptive play-by-play announcer of all time. Uh, and and it's a style that has bred a lot of copycats, and I'm, I could probably fall into that category. But one thing I realized, like you said, Kyle, the digestibility of it for me was harder. And that's a habit that maybe I, I think I had to get into the habit of trying to copy Kevin. I think I needed him as a baseline to start. So at least I, I thought, don't don't forget that one extra descriptor can make or break the absorption of that play to a listener. And it doesn't have to be every snap. It doesn't have to be every play. It doesn't have to be the two-yard run. It doesn't have to be on every big touchdown. But to add a layer somewhere, and for me, it was trying to figure out what's the best order of things. That's that's the hardest part, I think, when you're first starting football radio play-by-play. Is and, and, and a little bit on TV as well, but the fundamentals of it for radio is trying to figure out what are the key, the key pieces? The key pieces to all these things are, all right, down and distance, formation, uh, what's next on the priority checklist? If I can give you first and 10 at the 25, I formation, backfield, Johnson, the tail of the tandem, and I realize I have some time. It's a slower offense or whatever. Two receivers to the right, single wide left. New Orleans works in a 4-3 defense, two high safeties playing uh, five yards beyond the sticks. Is it necessary? Not, not, not really. Is it, it doesn't have to be, but if you know you have time, if you know there's a play, if if it's early in the game, you're trying to give a sense of place. Maybe you're not giving that descriptor in the first quarter. Maybe you're giving that in the fourth quarter on third down and twelve, and you realize, all right, this is the time to to add these fourth and fifth and sixth pieces to this puzzle that a listener is building in their head. Maybe because the drama is bigger. And the, the, the moment is more important. And I want the listener to be able to picture this big play. Third down and 13 might be the biggest play of the game. Let me make sure they can see all of it in their head. If it's the first quarter, maybe I'm seeing first and 10, 25-yard line, Panthers in the I formation with McCaffrey the, the back. I could say it's a three-receiver set. I could say New Orleans is playing 4-3. I could say that the Superdome is, is at fever pitch on the first drive of the game. Or I can lay out and and give the radio audience a sense of the crowd, too. Like, there are all these pieces. And because the TV isn't there, because the producer isn't telling you what's coming, the director isn't giving you the pictures, because you are building it, you now have to take all these puzzle pieces and decide where do they fit best, if they fit at all. So I think that's where that balance has come for me, uh, to be able to, to, to say on a line drive pass, all right, Breeze back, five-yard drop. Looks left, throws left, line drive pass, chest high catch at the 30-yard line outside the numbers by Thomas. He'll spin to the outside and step out at the 34. It's a 14-yard gain at a first down. All right, well, we gave you plenty there. And, and you can picture all that in your head. But maybe somebody for, for, for somebody on a bigger play, 
they're not listening as intently as you guys are. I remember that was one thing I learned listening to Kevin. When I was in the car by myself, I was intently and critically listening. So for me, when I hear all these descriptors, I go, that is awesome. That's amazing. How do you do that? And then in practice, or maybe as a casual listener, I'm not paying full attention. So when Kevin's voice goes up or the announcer's voice goes up, I think Kevin Kugler does a very good job of this as well. When his voice goes up, now my uh, attention is peaked. So now I'm listening for what, and again, I hope this is the, the specificity you guys were looking for. Absolutely. This is awesome. Oh, yeah. I, I, I know. I'm, <laughs> sure, I'm sure some people are rolling their eyes in the back of their head. Uh, but when, when the announcer's voice goes up, now as a listener, I'm, I'm tuned in. So maybe I'm not getting every piece that, that the announcer has given me so I can maybe catch them up on the back end. If it's first and goal, eight-yard line, New Orleans looking to strike first, uh, and I give the descriptor of the formation, I, it still may not be registering to the listener, but if I say Breeze, steps back, looking left, fires back left corner, now the listener is, oh, his voice is going up, what's happening? I might say Michael Thomas reaches, grabs it for a touchdown. I didn't give you a ton there. I gave you enough, but I didn't give you a ton. But the listener is now in. Once they hear touchdown New Orleans, now they're thinking, well, oh, what happened? Well, I need to know what happened there. So now I can give that extra layer. Oh, Breeze sidestepped the, the defensive end, uh, moved around him to his right, squared up, line drive the pass to the back left corner of the end zone, and a reaching two-hand catch by Michael Thomas into those white gloves in front of a one and three on his chest. Saints strike first at 6 nothing. The listener may have gotten more of that. Maybe all of it. The goal is all of it. But maybe they got more of that because you waited until they were really tuned in to give them that extra layer or two. And I think that's where, you know, to, to fully answer your question and come back full circle, that's where listening to Kevin, listening to Wayne, uh, li listening to Ian, you know, doing the Thursday night games, it, it kind of gave me a better sense for what my balance was and where I wanted to be and maybe where my pieces best fit. And by the way, it didn't all click on that November night in 2009. It took <laughs> years, and it's still something I'm working on to learn what's the best piece of information at the best time given to a listener who may not be fully engaged at every single second, like you are or you are or I am when we're listening, the three of us are listening to an announcer on the radio critically. I gotta go back and listen to that answer over and over. That was that was great stuff. And and then you yeah, go from I that. Hope, I, hope, yeah. I hope that's what you guys were looking for. I, it's a long answer, and there's a lot of. <laughs> that's what we want. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that. That's some of the philosophical stuff, that, and that's how it formed for me to try to learn all that. You can never describe too much on radio. You know, we are the eyes of the listener. I don't worry about the people who are watching on television. I know they're there, but I'm not broadcasting for them. I'm broadcasting for the people who cannot see the event. There's not anything worth that worth it that it, you don't describe. If you get a whiff of popcorn coming through the air, you mention that. <clears throat> the lights are on, you mention that. Uh, it's not enough to say that it's a gray day. You know, I'll say the pewter gray sky. Um, uh, Kevin Harlan, whose work I, I love, uh, he happens to be a dear friend, but that has no notwithstanding. I love his work. I've learned from him. I, for years, I would always say, you know, quarterbacks in the shotgun gets the snap. Well, that was never enough for Kevin Harlan. Kevin would say he'll get the snap belt high, chest high. He'll reach to his right to grab the snap. That's what radio is all about. It's a descriptive art. Uh, I'm not a commentator. I'm not an editorialist. I am a professional describer. That's what I tell people. Uh, I, I, I don't offer editorials or commentary on the air. I describe what I see. You know, why would I want to tell you what such and such is doing when I got Kenny Stabler sitting next to me? who's been there and done that. You know, what right do I have to analyze something? So I am a professional describer, but as a result of that, there, you, you can never say too much as in a descriptive nature. Time and score, uh, which you all heard 
uh, time and time again. And it's, you know, my dad used to say, um, when I started doing the games for, for high school, he would say to me, you need to say the time, inning, if it's baseball, and score. Uh, just when you think you've said it enough, you haven't. You haven't come close. And uh, so I've kind of, you know, I've always tried to abide by that. Um, I, I think that's important um, because it also tells the listener why your voice is in a certain way. Uh, and what I mean by that is the inflection that you're giving um, probably right before kickoff is going to sound a lot different than with 38 seconds to go in the second quarter before halftime. Obviously, it's going to sound a lot different than, you know, in the fourth quarter in a tight game. So, you know, I think always giving somebody the time and the score lets them know this is why we sound like this is do or die on this particular play. Uh, I'm not one. I get accused of it all the time, and I readily admit it. I'm probably not the biggest homer. Um, and, you know, I, I sometimes, to be honest with you guys, I have conflict with myself about that because sports and power five sports and obviously pro sports are covered on every medium. You can watch games on television. You can watch them on your tablet. You can watch it on Twitter. I mean, there's so many ways to consume it. What is it about radio that continues to draw people in or what's the only chance radio has to draw people in? Um, and for me, I think it's that it's the only place that a fan can go that the fan gets their version of the game. Uh, this was Kansas City against Houston, and this would be the the Kansas City offense. Offensive line, wide receivers to the side, kicker, punter, quarterbacks, running backs, flip the chart, set up in a defensive alignment with the defensive front, the linebackers, and the secondary. And notes on each player, every player, there has to be something. It's just, for me, maybe a superstition that someone gets injured and I don't have anything. Obviously, you've got the height, you've got the weight, you've got age, you've got hometown, you've got how they were acquired, what school they went to, what year they're in, what team they previously played for. It's all color-coded, and this is all done by hand. Same version for the Houston Texans. I make the chart from scratch. From there, there'll be a secondary chart with just news and notes from that game, and that's going to be full by the end of the week. I start this process with just a piece of loose leaf paper jotting down note after note after note and then eventually by sunday it makes its way into a better form on a manila folder like this kansas city chiefs four and one 1913 loss to indianapolis on sunday night was it an aberration that's just a little note that i wrote next to it just to remind myself at the point that that game was played they were undefeated they lost to the Colts. They were held to 324 yards. They had 11 penalties for 125 yards. They haven't lost back-to-back -back home games since 2013. That was Andy Reid's first season. It's the 11th all-time meeting between these two teams. Chiefs have won four of the last five. They've scored four touchdowns in their last nine quarters. They had scored 12 touchdowns in their first 11 quarters. On and on. How much of this makes air? If you have a great game, not a lot. If the game goes south, the number goes up. Then I'll have another sheet. This is just from our production meetings with the teams. This is with Houston, with Bill O'Brien, with Deshaun Watson, with Will Fuller, and with J.J. Watt, and with Deshaun Gibson. Kansas City, same deal. With Andy Reid, with Patrick Mahomes, with Travis Kelsey. And that's it. It's it's a lot. Yeah. It uh, it probably is more than I need, but it's what I'm comfortable with, and it helps get me ready for the game. How often am I going to this and referring to it in game? Not a lot. 
I find during the process, a lot of it is absorbed in my brain. And that's why I can instinctually work it in when it's appropriate and not just searching for something on my board and saying something randomly because I feel like I need to fill the airtime. Uh, it's, it's supposed to be uh, a feel process. It's supposed to be in the flow of conversation. And the hope is this kind of preparation can produce that on the air. I think to really be at your best, you've got to have those couple things. The immediate ID and the enough knowledge to immediately introduce. Give me something about this guy. So that's a priority. And for some guys, that's all there's going to be. I don't want to have all this prep and all these stories just for the sake of having these stories and having this prep and feeling comforted by having a bunch of fine print on my board. I think that I did that early on. And the problem with that is I feel like I'm sitting at a messy desk. You know, like you get you pour all this information and you get so much so much information to absorb during the week. It's great, but if you don't prioritize it, for me, I would get into the game and be like, okay, holy crap, I got all this stuff, but where is it? I know I read a story about this guy, but who, which guy was it? And I'd finish the game and I'd be like, I didn't even talk about the most important thing for that guy. I didn't even say that the team was looking for its first championship in however many years. That's the important thing. So finding a way to take all this information and narrow it down, refine it, and have your headlines. That's for the individual players, but it's also for the teams. I spend the week having a uh, putting together a, what I call a storyline chart, where I split the page in half, one team on one side, one team on the other, a headline for each, you know, looking for their first six-game winning streak in five years. On the other side, trying to move into first place in the division. Under that, maybe a, a headline about what their last game was, anything noteworthy from that. For football, I then do an offensive headline and a defensive headline and vice versa. And I'll introduce the groups with that. And that's something that I'll kind of go back to throughout the game as you know, to update those key headlines and key storylines coming in. And then, you know, you fill in the rest of the time with some of the minutiae, some of the, the deep dive stories. But again, I'm not doing that on every single player. I'm reading everything I can find, but finding a way to sift through it and, and prioritize what I need to know and what the listener needs to know. You guys know this. You have one game every year where you got peanut butter on the roof of your mouth. It just happens. That happened to be my game. Seven minutes to go in the game. I'm a, I, I am literally about to cry. I'm so upset with myself. I walk to the back of the booth in a timeout. I take a deep breath and I say, okay, what did John Ward teach you in moments like this? Time and score, down and distance, who made the tackle? Let's just keep it simple. Let's do what we've been trained to do and let's get through this thing. And if they fire you tomorrow, they fire you tomorrow. You know, that's what, that's what happens. But do what you've been taught to do. And so um, I went back up and was calling the final seven minutes and with 16 seconds to go christy makes the field goal steve Christie makes the field goal and we get set up for the kickoff and it ends up being the music city miracle play and they end up using our call because none, none of the other three calls that had been made could be aired due to somebody talking over one another or, you know, bad air quality or whatever, which is crazy. And it becomes one of the most famous plays in NFL history. And I have to do a press conference the next day to talk. I, only time in my career I've ever had to do press availability. And the backstory is 30 minutes earlier, I'm thinking I'm getting fired. And then this happens, but the call went okay because John taught me, and I didn't know what the call sounded like until 30 minutes after the game. I didn't even think about it. But was it accurate? Yes, it was accurate. Was it good? We can debate that. Uh, people decide that. Fans decide that. You don't decide that. But what you do is you say, it was accurate. I can live with it. I like to give formation uh, down in distance, things like that. Um, any changes? I've been fortunate with Falcons to have a great spotter for 14 years now um, 
who you know is real good with identif- and identifying changes, especially as a you know line play on defense and that kind of thing. So those are the real basics for me. Once the play starts, I think um, you need to look at your vocabulary. I think you can only say Matt Ryan passes the ball, Matt Ryan throws the ball, Matt Ryan fires the ball a finite number of times. I think you have to come up with other words. I think you really have to expand your vocabulary. That was one of my dad's things. Um, second is I want to know where he catches the ball. Did he catch it on the left side? Did he catch it at the 30? Uh, was he inside? Did he catch it on a slant? Did he catch it in front of the bench? And then who made the play? Who made the tackle? Who did he break free from? Did he, did he do something athletic? I mean, every time Julio does something, I feel like I have to invent a new word. I mean, <laughs> but what did he do to keep the play alive? Did he spin away? And then deliver the excitement. If it's an exciting play for your team, deliver the play. Uh, deliver the play and have an expectation of the play. Don't try to make Sports Center. Just do the basics, and I think the rest of it takes care of itself. In fact, it's it's really kind of amazing because after every game, there you know has been a penultimate play, like the Calvin Johnson catch in 2004, his first year at Georgia Tech, where they beat Clemson late in the game. I had no idea what I said, and I don't really know what I say sometimes, and I think that's kind of the way I'm become accustomed to it because that means I'm not thinking about it. I just let the play go. And, you know, people seem to be, people seem to think that's really weird, but at the same time, it, it kind of has worked for me, I guess. When I was in college, you know, getting critiques all the time, USF finally, my senior year had moved to a non-archaic offense that was actually more up tempo. And so you can kind of get used to that. But I had what four years in college and the one at FIU of just doing strictly college. And so I was used to the college game and how, you know, the speed of it and whatnot. But then when I went from that Tennessee-Florida game one week to that Giants-Eagles game the next week, like, it is noticeably faster, even though, like, they might be more deliberate in how they get up the line and, you know, they're not as hurry up in every sense that, you know, maybe they would be in college. But just the speed of the game, everything is faster. Going to break, like, I don't have time to go on some soliloquy about, you know, wrapping up the last drive before we go to break. Like, field goes up and good, 3 nothing. Florida over Tennessee, back after this on Sports USA. Like, I didn't have time to, you know, it was a this many play drive and this many yards, and it was the big play was this on this drive, back after this. It was no. Time scored, get out. And because in the NFL you have, what, a minute and a half, two minutes, and it's, like, strict. And so if you're behind getting a break, you're going to come back and you're going to miss stuff. With college, two-and-a-half-minute break. So you have a little bit of leeway there. Um, but adjusting to the speed – from one week to the next, it took me a full half, at least, just to get used to the the speed of the, uh, of the of the pro game. But as far as you know, the nuts and bolts of what you want to have pre-snap, during a play, and after a play, like we were just talking about all the extra details. But like the first thing you have to nail down, and Kyle, you said it was all right. It's first and ten at the Eagles' thirty-two yard line. Um, Carson Wentz is under center with Jordan Howard in. Uh, as a long tailback behind him. And if that's all I can do at that point, that's all I can do. But if I get to the line and I have a little bit extra time, I can say, all right, Alshon Jeffrey split out to the left and then three wide receivers set two more to the right, something along those lines. And then obviously if I can say, you know, four down linemen or three down linemen, whatever it is defensively, that's great. And then the play happens, call a play. And that brings up second down and six after the gain of four from the 36. Um, and then I, you know, that to me, obviously that's not enough. Like you have to have down distance and yard line every single play. Like, obviously there are going to be times here and there where, you know, a team's going hurry up and your analyst is late getting it, you know, late finishing his thought, whatever you get it on the back end. But to me, like, that's obviously the most imperative thing because obviously we are the eyes for the listener and obviously that might seem obvious, but I mean, first and 10 at the 30, at their own 30 going right to left is like obviously the most important thing you can do because at the very least, even if your descriptors are the most basic things he throws to the right and it's caught for a five yard gain, at least the listener knows what yard line and where the ball is going. And so to me, that's the most important thing. And then once you get that down, you add in the, the meat and potatoes of the different descriptors and adding in other things and describing what's going on around it. Maybe Dabo Swinney is sprinting down the sideline to 
call a timeout or something like that. Or he's or Brent Venables is jumping up and down on the sidelines because he's a madman trying to get his defense defense's attention and he's got a strength coach trying to hold his belt back from, you know, him running on the field. You can obviously add all those all those things in afterwards, but to me like that's the most important thing is making sure that you make sure the listener knows where the ball is, what's the down and distance and things like that. Because and I think this is one of the things Larry told me and I think some young broadcasters get caught up in this. Um, and minor leaguers too. Like I just listened to a, a, a minor league broadcasters tape the other week. And you know when you just refer to receivers or players in the minor leagues as just by their names, it's different than the pro. Like obviously minor leagues, probably you know what I mean the major league level or just the pro game. The names are a lot familiar to people, more familiar to people. So if I'm doing an FIU game and I say Smith is in the slot. What does that mean to anybody? Nobody knows who Smith is. So you can just say there's two wide receivers left and two to the right. But if they have that big name guy, we'll just use Tennessee as an example. If I see Jawan Jennings is split out wide and left, like, yeah, I can say Jawan Jennings' name because chances are if you're listening to this game, you know who Jawan Jennings is. That's one of the guys that Tennessee has. So you can reference him by his name. But Larry, one of the things he told me was, Josh, you don't have to say every single name of everybody who's lined up. If there's an important player there, go ahead. But it's more important to just lay out the formation. And even more important that if you try and force in those names, you might yourself fall behind on the snap. And then the play is going on and fans can, or people listening can hear what's happening. They hear the helmets crashing from the effects. They can hear the crowd reacting to anything. And you're still saying that Smith is lining up in the slot. <laughs> so, you know, there's a good balance there, obviously. And the more you do, the more comfortable you get with that. But uh, again, the baseline of down distance and where the ball is, and then of course, you know, every few plays mixing in the time and score, that's hugely important. That is almost like a cheat code, right? To to just say who is the highlighted receiver as opposed to just going down the line. Because like you said, especially a fast game, it's just and and you can't cheat the audience when there's a good effects feed. Because once exactly. you hear the helmets clank, it's you, or it's like basketball. They can know you're behind the play if they can hear the the net swish, like the rim clank, and you're still describing things, but the right. shot it clearly was missed. You know, or what I'm in saying? baseball, if if you're behind a pitch and you hear the crack of the bat, even if it's fair or foul, like I used to do that a lot, and it was a bad habit of mine where I was in a conversation and I hear the, and the crack of the bat happens and it's a foul ball, so I don't, I'm not like too, you know, in a rush to get to it, but still like something happened like everyone can hear the crack of the bat and you're still talking about jimmy and what he ate for breakfast last week like or this morning it doesn't matter what matters is you know what's happening there and like the baseline information that the listener would need do you have you had that uncomfortable conversation with analysts on radio saying how just telling them how concise they need to be with again up up-tempo style offenses you need to be maybe five to eight seconds on a point because i need to do my pre-snap my post-snap get all the bare bones down yet you probably have a ton to say because you know a ton about the sport but you need to be like five to ten seconds at the most well see it's it's a great question because again i'm 23 at the time i'm not 23 now but i'm starting at 23 and i'm working with doug plank who has a defense named after him, uh, the 46 <laughs> defense. It's named after Doug Plank. I'm working with John Robinson, who was a college football Hall of Famer and uh, another time national champion with LSU this past season. Um, he was one of their support staff members. Um, I'm working with Mark Carrier, who was an All-American in the first-round pick, and Charles Arbuckle, who was an All-American tight end. And so at Hank Bauer, who has the all-time record in the NFL for special teams tackles in a season, who's been doing broadcasting for more than 20, 25 years. And all these guys have worked with Sports USA for a lot longer than I have. So I have always found it a little uncomfortable. And Larry's tried to, like, knock this out of my brain where it's like, Josh, when you're there and the game's going on, like, you got to be in control of what's happening there. But at the same time, like, it's easy for Larry to say that. It's his company. But it's also true. And so, like, I, to me, like, I don't want to come off as the – to John Robinson, like, who the hell is this 23-year-old trying to tell me how to do this job? John still is going to forget uh, way more about football than I will ever know in my life. And so there's that, like, balance of, hey, you know, great stuff there, but, you know, if you don't mind just, like, cutting off, like, a couple of seconds earlier so I can get, you know, the stuff in. And that conversation has happened 
you know, multiple times. But if I'm not rude about it, like they're usually receptive to it. Um, I've had to have conversations like that a few times, but as long as you're respectful about it and you're not like, Hey man, could you shut up and let me talk first? <laughs> like, obviously no. Like you're going to say like, Hey, that was great stuff. And I really like the point you made there, but you know, they're going a little fast. I need some time to, you know, set up the play. Um, and nine times out of 10, they know they're like, all right, no worries. Like, and that's the other thing too, is we work in such a good environment in sports USA where we're all friends with each other off the air. Like we got dinner and stuff and whatnot, like what crews do like while they're on site in a, in a city for a game. And so we're all comfortable with each other and we know none of it's personal unless it obviously gets personal, but it never does. And so those conversations are thankfully easy to have, but I'm more comfortable having them now because at this point we're three years into this working with these guys and you know, I think too, like that's one of the advantages of working with somebody different, you know, work with four or five different guys throughout a season. And I think that's helpful in being able to, you know, mold yourself to be able to work with different people and not get used to just one person. So you're not getting into those habits. You're able to be a chameleon and kind of, you know, work around different people and different people's skill sets because John Robinson talks a lot slower and a lot more methodical than Hank Bauer does. Charles Arbuckle comes at it from a different point of view than Mark Carrier does. And so, you know, you just have different philosophies and different styles of different analysts that you work with. But back to your question, like, as long as you're respectful about it and you're not a jerk, like, they're mostly respectful uh, or receptive to it, I should say. Well, Roger, it's changed over recent years and it's, it's a lot of binocular use now. But I, I have to give credit because uh, I was made aware of uh, first through Tony Caridi at West Virginia and then Dan Horde at the University of Cincinnati of these Bushnell wide-angle binoculars that a lot of other guys now have started using. And you can use that as a play is going on and get a wide angle of the field. I, I really struggled with having to do that at first, thinking about doing it. But using these binoculars makes a big difference. It's, it's also very much in need in Columbus. The press box we have at Ohio State is very, very high. One of the highest that you probably ever be at, but we're in a great spot between the 40s. Um, you know, there are some places now where the, the locations aren't ideal. A lot of the NFL stadiums, the newer ones, they're putting you in the corner of the end zone. But the wide-angle binoculars make it easier, not easy, but easier to have them up on your eyes as a play is going on and being able to see a wide angle of the field. Uh, the regular vision binoculars, that that's a challenge. It's I used to use those mostly just to check for substitutions and things like that. But with the wide-angle binoculars, it's made it considerably easier. And to piggyback off of that, how do you utilize your spotter? I'm sure your spotter has those same wide-angle binoculars. What are some of the things that um, they're helping you out with in the booth? Well, I'm going to miss my spotter this year. We're not going to be able to have yeah. our spotter because yeah. of the restrictions that press boxes are having and everything. But uh, what I use the spotter for is uh, for defense to watch for tackles, to help me with tackles, interceptions. And I'm very fortunate. The spotter I use is a cousin of mine here in Columbus who was a, a, a defensive lineman in college. He played at uh, Otterbein College here in Columbus. So he's kind of got a knack for watching for all of that. So, uh, you know, I know some people use them for offense and all of that, but I use the spotter just for defense, just for tackles. Uh, but what these wide-angle binoculars have helped do, uh, probably 80 to 85% of the time I can spot who it is just as quickly as the spotter does. You don't have to give every blade of grass, but, you know, uh, down in distance, here's the situation, where's the ball, that, and not just on the, well, overtime, you know, it's, it's so much, but where is it on the field? Is it on the left hash? Is it on the right hash? Is it in the middle? Is it in the left middle? Is it in the right middle? You, you learn to become more and more descriptive, and I think that's a key for any sport that you do, and that's the biggest difference, I think, is – the radio and TV is, is, is that kind of description. It's easier at Kyle to say North end, South end. Most Aggie fans understand that you have to be a little more descriptive on the road and it could be, they could still be familiar, but it could be, Hey, they're marching. It could be, it could be the open part of the stadium. It could be the student section. It could be a scoreboard section. It could be something like that. Yeah. You, you have to be descriptive. I always try to get who is on the field uh, for that play. Um, and if anybody makes any kind of change, 
Um, but yeah, as just as descriptive as possible. Um, and again, that's very different from TV where you can let it play out and almost play catch up at times. You can still let things play out. Not that you have to speak constantly, but being descriptive as possible, I think adds to, you know, what makes radio so special. So your listeners are, are hearing it through your eyes. Where the ball is on the field, I think is very important. Direction is important. I think, you know, one thing that I still struggle with, and I, I think every, if you talk to every broadcaster, they'll always tell you there's something that they wish they were just a lot better doing. One of my biggest problems is when the ball is intercepted, spotting it where it was intercepted. You know, because your natural tendency is there's the drop back to pass. The ball's intercepted and he's got into the midfield. He's gonna... Well, you never told me where he intercepted the ball. So I don't know exactly how far he ran it back or did he catch it in the middle of the field. Catch. So I really have to work hard when the ball is intercepted. He caught the ball in the middle of the field at the 40-yard line and then go into the call. So they're just little things. I think it's important uh, that you give the formation. Or if, they're, if you have a key receiver, a big-time receiver, like this past year, we had um, – Jawan Jennings, and we had Marquez Callaway. Well, I thought it was important for people to know where Callaway and and uh, Jawan Jennings were on the field, because if Jennings is in the slot to the right, there's a pretty good chance they're going to throw a slant pass to Jennings. So I wanted to paint kind of that picture a little bit. I think you need to paint, uh, you know, and of course now everybody's in the shotgun, but if they get under center, well, that's news. So you need to talk about, are they under center? Are they still on the shotgun? One of my old bosses at Learfield IMG, he's a vice president. His name's Chris Ferris. And, and Chris has critiqued a lot of my tape over the years. And one of the best pieces of advice Chris has ever given me was, you know, if you want to just be fundamentally sound in a football or basketball broadcast, just make sure the listener is not asking themselves any questions. Like, what down is it? What's the score? Who has the ball? That's bad. Like, if the listener's asking themselves questions, that's bad. Now, you have to remember, every five seconds, someone new is tuning in. So you have to try to deliver it in a way where that within 60, to, 60 seconds to two minutes, you're, you're rebooting and refreshing and giving all that information uh, in a way that also doesn't start to sound repetitive to the people who have been listening for two hours. So it's bringing that together. That, that would be step one. But then the, the other thing that I started to notice through my first season as I listened back to the tape and I was just like, man, what? that was a missed opportunity to, to drop a really great nugget. Or why, why did I say that? Um, I've, I've kind of thought about like, you know, those like, what are they called? Like the Russian nesting dolls where, where like, you know, there's just the mm -hmm. layers, right? And, and I think when you're thinking about a game, there's so many different layers on which you can be speaking. You can be speaking about like the play that's at the core, right? Like the play is what's happening at the very moment. And then you could be speaking about the series, the drive, right? And then you could be looking through the context of the quarter. You could be looking through the context of the game. You'd be looking through the context of the season and you could be looking through at the context of the history of the program. And I think a great play by play guy is someone who knows of those six levels, which one should you speak to at this given moment? Because I think that like, you know, sometimes you, you want to paint a picture, right? But if you're getting hyper descriptive of the way something looks when someone's breaking a record, that's superfluous nonsense. You should be talking about the record that was broken. Right. And, and it, we, we have to zoom out into we have to zoom out into low resolution or big picture, and then we have to zoom right back into high resolution constantly during the broadcast. So that is a thing that I think like just requires some feel. It requires some time to get used to, and it requires knowledge of the history of the program, which is what we were talking about a little bit earlier. Like when I came in and having a full year to get ready for Husky football, like I met with the SID. And I printed off literally every box score of Washington football from 1976 to present day. And I read every number and every letter 
and I had a highlight different color coding system and I wanted to know like okay like I've heard of some of these big games but like what happened in that game or why is it so memorable or you know I mean sometimes sometimes like you look at a final score well sometimes the final score was like yeah they led by 20 it got close in garbage time in the fourth quarter they ended up winning by seven but it wasn't that interesting of a game but other times they won by seven coming back from 21 down you need to know the difference right and so learning all of that stuff by really diving in um was something that i committed to for that first year and i'm really glad that i did because it makes me feel like i experienced this a little bit um in in a passive way you know i i i didn't see the games before i was born when warren moon was throwing to spider gains but but I know about it and I've seen the tapes and I've read the box score and I, I've read what that meant by, by going back to the 1978 media guide, you know, and all that stuff I think is important to do. So, um, yeah, I think those are the challenges of a college play by play play, uh, play by play person. And, and you just have to know which to summon at which time. 